Hello and welcome to The Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we continue in the epilogue for Dearest Ones, the letters that our hero, the Silver King, wrote to his family throughout the war. It's June of 1945. The war in Europe is over. It ended in early May. And the king and his guys have been busy battling their boredom. And in this case, this first week of June includes an unauthorized trip to Paris. The king and his guys are going AWOL in pursuit of the gay life of the big city and their love of Paris. Stanley relates all this in a June 5th letter to his family. Dearest ones, I haven't written for a few days, as must be evident from the interval in my letters. Last Friday, two buddies and myself left here and were gone until last night. It was a wild, drunken orgy, but I feel none the worse for it, though maybe a little tired. One of the guys has a cousin stationed in Paris, so we decided to go see him. It was all on the spur of the moment, probably because we were so fed up and disgusted with this place. We would have almost welcomed any out. We knew we weren't authorized to go, nor how we would get there. But that didn't matter because we were going nonetheless. We only got as far as San Quentin on Friday night and we left the next morning on the train for Paris. It was a swell ride. It only took three hours on a streamliner, just like being in the States. Paris was beautiful. The sidewalk cafes were open and doing big business. The Champs was as colorful as could be. It was jammed with soldiers as well as with pretty girls, all of whom seemed to be gay and extremely happy. We found a room in a small hotel off the Shams and then proceeded to join in the festivities of being gay, forgetting the past and future. During the days, we stood at the bars and sat in the sidewalk cafes, trying to recapture the feeling of living normally again. The nights were spent in the best nightclub found in Paris, named Lido. The drinks were good, though expensive, And the floor show would astound you. The chorus in one act do a dance with bodies bare from the waist up. Naturally, the Yanks go wild over this. Indeed, Paris is the gay city. Well, we caught the train last evening, arriving here with that usual letdown feeling. Brussels last weekend, Paris this weekend. I suppose I'll have to stay in for a while now. The pocketbook has taken an awful beating. I found three of your very sweet letters on my bed, May 23, 24, and 25. It's swell to know you're well and enjoying yourselves. I, too, am sorry Cece had to leave you, as I'm sure you've had good time. There still hasn't been any talk of going home or going to the Pacific. In fact, the latest rumor is that we will be the army of occupation. Though it's still only a rumor, 
At present, we're doing nothing, sitting idly, talking mostly of the States and home. I haven't received any packages lately, which I suppose is my fault. I hope you'll be able to find me the Bancroft lighter cap and green ties. Please send them as soon as possible. Also, please send some stationery and meat and lobster. Thanks. There isn't any more news. I'm fine and thinking of you constantly, hoping you're well. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. When Stanley writes about Paris, and he really enjoys every moment of describing what he's been doing and with whom, the sights he's seen, and the people, the gaiety, the beautiful women, the food, the bars, the drinks, the clubs. I think about the writing of A.J. Liebling. Now, the king was a great scribe. He wasn't Liebling-esque, but he certainly held his own in telling stories of Europe during the war and after. And the Silver King seemed capable most of the time of living in the moment as he described Paris, where he was due to forget the past and not think about the future and just enjoy himself. And what he couldn't resolve, which is understandable for an up-and-coming man of 22, were the spaces in between where there was boredom and downtime and waiting through the unknown about the future. And I often think about how in the king's wonderful writing, if he had really sat through those days and wrote the stories in between his adventures, as he often did and could to some extent, that he might have gone on to be an exceptional writer, a professional writer, a man of great stories. The king was an exceptional storyteller. And as I pursued his story, his war, the B-26, the Martin Marauder, how I would assemble the pieces of those years and write them, and thinking early on about a book, which became ultimately this podcast series many years later. I want to share with you, the faithful followers of the King, a few important things that happened to me along the way. In November of 2015, I was about three years into my work on The Silver King and His War. And I had just returned from a trip to Baltimore to visit friends and to research the king. My first stop had been with some of my favorite friends over decades, Evelyn and Paul Wurtzman, who were so important in my development as an up-and-coming adult in Baltimore in the 1970s. And after the Wartsmans, I went to the Glen Martin Museum in Middle River, Maryland, and met with the archivists and the library researchers and the volunteers and learned some important things about 
the B-26 and Glenn Martin and got a wealth of information to take home to Portland. And when I got off the plane, I decided that it was time for me to find a real writing space to continue my pursuit of the king. And I did. I happened to be walking through our neighborhood one day, and I came upon a federal building, the Custom House, that was being converted into a co-working space. And I signed for a piece of that space. And in those formative months of pursuing a place and a space, I also went looking for a writing course to help me refine my work, to make me a crisper, better, cleaner writer. And I started looking. I perused the listings at Portland State and other local colleges. Couldn't find anything that really caught my eye. And so, as I started settling into my new writing space at the Custom House, I developed a writing course that I would teach. This course, which became City Stories, was something special in an approach that I had been thinking about for a number of years, about a style and a method to help people become better writers. With a finished proposal for City Stories, I began pursuing the director of the continuing education courses at the local art school, the Pacific Northwest College of Art. And my sales pitch was simply that writing, of course, was a form of art. And there were other offerings for adults in their program that were based around writing. The art school's program director accepted my proposal and agreed to list it in the offerings for the Pacific Northwest College of Arts 2016 spring term. Six years later, in 2022, I've taught City Stories five times, each with a great joy for a small number of very good writers who were charged with traveling in the city and finding their stories and using resources like the New Yorker magazine to spur them on to good writing. And one of the great joys for me of teaching city stories and working with so many good writers was that all that work, all that editing, advising, designing, thinking about words and writing made me a much better writer and really pushed me to develop a strong story for the Silver King's War. And that's the basis for this podcast series. My course, City Stories, 
inspired in part by the pursuit of the Silver King, became the Silver King's War podcast. And as we conclude this brief history lesson about Baltimore and Portland in the years beginning in 2015, we have reached the end of this episode of the epilogue for Dearest Ones, the letters that our hero, the Silver King, wrote to his family throughout the war. And this is part 38. And you are listening to the Silver King's War.